What a person prays for tells you a lot about that person. Would you agree with that? What a person prays for would tell you a lot about that person. Or if they don't pray at all, that would surely tell you something too, right? Prayers have a way of revealing a person's priorities or their problems or their faith. And I think it does all that. And we're going to be looking at a prayer today. We're going to be looking at Paul's prayer, and he, in fact, gives us a couple prayers, and he writes them out because he wants the people in Ephesus, and he wants you and I to know today what's on his heart. It reveals his priorities as he discloses this prayer. It shows us how to pray for others, and it does so much to lift us and encourage us around the great purposes of God. So we're going to be looking at a prayer, and it'll surely reveal the heart of Paul, but more importantly, the heart of the Father, our Heavenly Father and our Savior, Jesus. And it'll truly transform the way we see prayer and practice prayer. And that's, that's my prayer for today, for you and for me. You know, we've entered this series starting last week called Ephesians, Called to be Holy in Christ. And it's an opportunity all through summer to keep tying us together to the Word of God, rooted in one book, so we can keep coming back to these powerful truths, so we can keep ruminating, you know what that means, right? Chewing on, chewing all summer long, whether you're on vacation or you're here. You know, you can take your Bible with you on vacation, right? I heard that's still legal. Anyway, and you, you read and you go, oh, they're, they're like in the second half of chapter one now. I can read that. Honey, we should talk about that. We can listen to it online even if we're away. And we can stay rooted and tied together in fellowship and in Christ wherever we are this summer. And if you're here, awesome. If you're not, you can catch the messages, but you've got the word of God right there. We're studying passage by passage, verse by verse, as we march through the whole book of Ephesians this summer. So this morning is all about looking at this prayer that Paul displayed to us and opened up his heart about. But before we do that, I want to kind of remind you, I want to tie last week, his first 13 verses, with this week, okay? Because these verses talk about the identity that you have in Christ, and we have to have that as the backdrop. In fact, this was the slide that I closed with last week. It was kind of the conclusion. So it's a good one to start with this week, I thought. For those in Christ, God has chosen us. God has predestined us to be adopted as sons. He's redeemed us, forgiven us, lavished his grace on us, revealed to us the mystery of his will. He's given us an inheritance, and he sealed us with his Holy Spirit. The reason that's so important is, is that's language all about your identity in Christ, who you are in Christ. It's not about your performance. It's not how you're doing this week in your walk with God compared to last week or last year. It's about literally who you are. He says, this is your identity in Christ. And it should feel overwhelming. It should feel like, wow, I can't get my mind around all that. It should just be these great, massive doctrinal truths that God says, this is who you are. And literally will always be. You'll always be adopted. You'll always be a redeemed, adopted son. You'll always be under the lavish grace and forgiveness of God. You'll always need to understand that before the foundation of the earth, I chose you to know me and love me and be loved by me. That you'll have an inheritance to look forward to, and that's for tomorrow and next week and for all eternity. It's an amazing set of truths about who you are in Christ, that you're sealed with this Holy Spirit. And sometimes we forget who we are, and that's why we struggle with the issues in our world or the issues in our own personal life. 
We listen to the messages of others. We, we try to perform to be a certain thing, to try to find our identity in the world. And he says, no, your identity's actually been given to you. You don't have to go achieve it. You just have to receive it. And this is what Paul told us we should receive as our identity. When we placed our faith in Christ, when we asked Christ to forgive our sin, come in and transform our heart, he did. And then he said, and now this is who you are. And you'll get to understand that more and more as you walk with me. But there they are. That's the foundation. And it's really appropriate that then he goes into this prayer. Because I don't know about you, but every time I read that and I see these words on this page, I just go like, that's overwhelming. God would lavish his grace on me, but he knows me. That's why it's grace. It's not reward. His grace is about what you don't deserve, but he lavishes that on me. I'm an adopted son of the King of Kings, Lord of Lords. You're an adopted son or daughter. I mean, this identity doesn't get any better. It couldn't get any better. You're royalty. You're forgiven and graced and filled and provided for, and you have an inheritance waiting. The best is yet to come in Christ. But you can understand why he wanted to pray that they would actually understand their identity. That's why it's so important to not just breeze over this prayer that he has, but really dive into it. So we are. We're going to dive into it kind of verse by verse, line by line. You ready? First, or it's the first chapter and verse 15. Ephesians 1:15. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. So he starts by saying, it's your faith and your love. There's this reputation that you have. I've heard of it. It's sounding out. It's going out. That your love is real in Christ. You're not pretending. You've given your life to Christ. He's changing you. And you know it's real. And you know you've been changed when your love changes. You love the unlovely. You give grace and forgiveness to people. Just the way you get it from God. It's not like any, you know, difficult thing to understand. You've received it. You understand it. Now you've given it. If it's real and you place your faith in Christ, the supernatural love of God cannot be stopped from you if you're in Christ. So you go, wow, it's, it's about faith in Christ. That's where it starts. And real faith in Christ and his truths works itself out in love to all my relationships. And there should be more love and more sacrifice, more grace and more forgiveness moving out in my relationships. Every month I walk with Christ, there should be more. I should be more lovely and looking like Christ. I should be more gracious. I should be more sacrificial. I should be more merciful. I should have more compassion for my wife, my husband, my kids, my family, my neighbor. Should be, what's the word? More. I should have more excitement about the word of God. I should have more of a passion to learn about prayer. I should want to worship him with more passion and excitement than I did last week, last year. It's about more in Christ. If I really have real faith. And he's saying, you guys have real faith. And I've heard about your love toward all the saints. And I can't stop thanking God for that. Just love this. His heart. Just, I can't stop thanking God. This is it. You found life. You found life in Christ and for eternity. You got it, you guys. You're doing great. Keep going. That's what I kind of, I sense like maybe the coaching side of Paul coming out. I just, he wants to just inspire and and challenge them, encourage them, keep going in this. I think of this church, one of the great things I hear about this church, church from others and those of you here, is that they see Cornerstone as a very, very loving and welcoming place. Whether they're invited to some event or some life group, or they come on a Sunday morning, they just feel it's incredibly loving, very gracious, welcoming. And uh, even some people have 
have said that, you know, we're the, the Jesus Jesus church. Now, I'm not sure what that means because, like, shouldn't all churches be, like, Jesus Jesus churches? Like, all about Jesus? Making much of Jesus? So, however that translates to those that don't even know Christ yet, they know we're about Jesus in this place. And when that real faith in Jesus is being lived out, the love is very obvious. The welcome just continues to get rolled out. The grace is very, very clear to people. It's, there's no mistaking. And I can stand here and say, praise God for you guys and the faith, the real faith that has exhibited itself in real love for all the saints here and for those that ever come anywhere near us. There's this overflow and this splashing of the love of Christ that comes because your faith is real. That's what these Ephesians were experiencing. They were young believers. They were, being, they were battling sin like you and I. But there was a reputation that moved forward. It was like the invitation to the community. They're about faith in Christ. They're about this love in Christ. And he was always thanking God, and he's telling them, I'm remembering you in my prayers always. And we see it in other letters, too. In Colossians 4, 2, we see Paul said, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. It's the very thing he's doing, and he's challenging the church. As I pray for you, guess what I want you to do? I want you to pray with thankful and watchful hearts. I want you to be looking for opportunities to show real faith to others and show real love to others. And I'm going to pray you'd be devoted to this. So he modeled it. He emphasized prayer. Why would he record two fairly lengthy prayers in one letter to one church and then do it again in Philippians and in Colossians because he emphasized prayer, didn't he? Jesus emphasized prayer. The disciples didn't get prayer. How do we know that? They came to Jesus and they said, Jesus, teach us how to pray. <laughs> we need to really understand this. We don't get like you go away. You're not around in the morning when we're all fixing breakfast. You're out in the dark. You're praying your heavenly father. Like, what are you doing? Like how? Just teach us. Teach us. Teach us about prayer. And he did. We have the disciples' prayer, the Lord's prayer. When he did that, Jesus emphasized prayer. Paul was emphasizing prayer. We can learn a lot when we see this modeled and what he was praying for and how he was thankful to God and was always remembering them. 1 John 4.21 says, Whoever loves God must also love his brother. So he always linked those together, didn't he? The, the real faith and, and love for God and from God and how that translates in relationships with all the saints. You wrap that all in prayer and you just say, let's just keep doing that. Let's just keep doing it at all different new levels. Let's do it contagiously. Let's do it in a way that just feels revolutionary. Let's do it in ways people don't expect. Let's just keep growing in sacrificial love and demonstrating the faith in Christ that's real to us. And we'll see how that's backed by the power of the Holy Spirit in just a moment. So let's continue, church. Let's continue the reputation God has graced us with and may it go out even further. May the light of Christ and real faith in him and real salvation expressing itself in love go further out. There are more people that don't yet know Christ that are in the dark that are right near you and me. There are people in this town, this community, your neighborhood, your family that don't yet know Christ. We need more of this faith expressed in radical, sacrificial love. The prayer continues, verse 17. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? So Paul here is asking that God, the Father of glory, 
may give them the spirit of wisdom and the spirit of revelation. God's spirit is full of wisdom. God the Holy Spirit has all wisdom and truth, and he's saying that I'm praying that the spirit full of wisdom, the spirit full of truth, would reveal this wisdom and truth to you through his word. And what's the goal? What does he have in mind? What does this verse say? What's, what's he have in mind that the spirit of wisdom and the spirit of revelation would take you toward what or toward who? Toward Christ and knowledge of him. That your knowledge of Christ, that the eyes of your heart would be open to the hope that you have in him. The riches, the glorious inheritance that you have in him. But in verse 17, it was all about the knowledge of Christ. And there are a couple other verses I wanted to bring to your attention. The knowledge of Christ. When the Spirit, this is in John 16, Jesus is speaking, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. And then verse 14, he will glorify me, and for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. This is super profound, you guys. The Holy Spirit is not going to lead us into darkness, the darkness of our own personal wisdom, the darkness of the wisdom of the world. It's not going to lead you to other philosophies. All wisdom, all truth, all revelation is found from God through his word about the person of Christ. It's knowledge of Christ that he wants to reveal. It's wisdom about his ways, the way he walked. He's the living word. We have the written word and Christ is the, the, the living word that carries out and just demonstrates the written word. He wants you to know Christ better. That's God's goal for you and me. He wants you to know him intimately. He doesn't want you to be able to fill out some tests, check some boxes like you have just information about him. He wants you to know him passionately and intimately and personally and daily. He wants you to have conversations. He wants you to be able to hear the teaching of Christ through the Spirit and through the Word. He said, I am going to, through the Spirit, reveal truth about me. I'm going to give the Spirit truth about myself that he's going to reveal to you. You're going to see that in the Word, and it's going to make sense to your mind and heart as you take it in. I want you to know Christ better. You remember when Paul said that in Philippians 3.10? I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. And this word knowing isn't a set of facts. Like I said, it's about personal familiarity. It's about real relationship. He wants you to have real relationship with Christ. You know what that requires? That requires the almighty power of the Holy Spirit and the word of God being received and explained and illuminated to your mind so that you would get it and be grateful for it and start living it. That's what it requires. This is not a human endeavor. This is not you being smart enough, having a high IQ. This is about the revelation of God through the Spirit, based in the Word of God, that you would understand Jesus better. I love that. It's all a relational goal. Isn't that awesome? You see how that moves away from legalism? That moves away from checking boxes and being good enough? It's about relationship. He just wants you to know Christ better. And he's given you his spirit that lives in you. And he'll keep revealing and guiding you into all truth. And it'll make much of Jesus. I think people can get off when they're trying to make so much of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was submissive to the Father's plan to make much of who? Himself? No. Who? This is really key. Who? Jesus. To make much of Jesus. The Father wants the Spirit to lift up and reveal 
the knowledge of Christ to you and me so we can get to know him better. Lifting up Jesus. If he's high and lifted up, he'll draw all men to himself, Scripture says. Wow, more and more acquainted with Christ. More and more acquainted in understanding his ways. And then empowered, the power of the resurrection, Paul said, to go live his ways. That's knowledge of Christ. That's what he have, has in mind when he's talking about the spirit of wisdom and the spirit of revelation and the knowledge of him. And then he says there's this glorious inheritance. I just love that there's so much to look forward to in Christ. You know, every once in a while you get tired of hearing the bad news, right? You don't want to watch the news again. You don't want to, you know, someone calls, you're like, oh, I wonder if there's going to be bad news, hard news. In Christ, our inheritance is so good. Look at these verses in 1 Corinthians 1. Our Lord Jesus Christ, who will who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. He says that he will sustain you so that you can inherit his blessings. Salvation, this inheritance that we have is all about salvation with him. That we know we're not home yet. We're headed to heaven, right? We're passing through. We're called pilgrims, actually. Sons and daughters, adopted sons and daughters of the king. But he says we're like pilgrims. This is not our home. Home's coming but on the way through earth. <laughs> However many days or years he gives us, we have a mission. We're to enjoy and delight ourselves in the great blessings of God in Christ and make them known and just let other people know they could be included if they come to faith in Christ. They can be included as well. There is a glorious inheritance. But I don't know if you caught that word there or that phrase that Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, will sustain you to the end. Sometimes we think doubts will come in, maybe we'll lose our faith, you know. Oh, we're battling with this sin or this issue, we're going to lose our faith. You know, in the end, we might, I don't know if I'm really saved and this and that. This verse tells us that Christ will sustain us to the end. When you place your faith in Christ and you were born again by the Spirit of God, John chapter 3, you were moved from darkness to light. You were moved from being separated from sin and being an enemy of God to becoming a son or a daughter and a friend of God. And when you prayed that prayer and invited Christ in after you confessed your sin, he forgave you. And like he promised, he came to live in you through his Holy Spirit. And his Holy Spirit, what? I need you to say this because people forget this. Sealed you. He sealed you in Christ. Sealed you. Put a stamp on you. You know, when they seal things, is authenticating, showing ownership. He owns you in Christ. You're his son, your daughter, because of what Christ did on the cross and your faith in what he did. Not in your performance, not up and down, not if you're having a great week, a great year. It's because of your identity, because of what Christ did. He will sustain you. Guiltless in the day of Christ. Guiltless. Who took your guilt and shame? The one who saved you. Where did he take it? At the cross, what did he do with it? He put it under his feet. He took on Satan and death and sin, and he conquered and was victorious. He's a great, victorious king, and you're in him. This is awesome stuff. Like, it doesn't get better. Don't doubt. I mean, we go through doubts, and we, but just root yourself in your identity when you have the doubts or you're struggling with faith. But just realize, wait a minute. He told me he would sustain me to the end. He said that day when Christ returns, I'll be not in guilt or shame. I will be under no condemnation, but under the glory of Christ. He took my guilt and shame and burden and my sin on the cross. 
That's an incredible day to look forward to. Some people don't look forward to the return of Christ because they think, oh, well, I don't really know. You know, I don't know. Because what they're doing in their head is they're weighing out the good and the bad. I don't know. Has the scale tipped the right? You know, am I ready for Christ to return? Am I doing enough? Am I? Do you see how you've fallen into a work salvation, into a performance salvation? Is that biblical? No. Out of your identity, already being forgiven and adopted and born again and sealed by his Holy Spirit, sustained to the very end, guiltless before the Lord Jesus when he returns for you. It's out of those great truths and promises. Now you go live. Now I go live. Now I fight sin. Now I even desire to fight sin. I want to go please Christ. I want to be used by Christ. Why? Because of who he is to me. What he's given me. All these blessings in Christ. Are you kidding? I get all that? You, little old you, little old me, gets all that? Yes. That's what trans transforms our motivation to want to live holy in Christ. It's not fear-based. It's not, I wonder, the guilt, the condemnation. I wonder if it'll stack up in my favor. It's like, wait, that was all taken at the cross. That's the deepest motivation of any motivation to bring honor and glory to Christ and to live holy. Does that make sense? Christians struggle with that literally for the whole life until someone corrects it. For the Holy Spirit just shows them those verses, and I've shared some of them with you today. You have a glorious inheritance waiting, and Satan or your weakness is not going to steal your inheritance. He will sustain you in the end if you're in Christ. Are you in Christ today? And if you don't know that, we'll have an opportunity at the end of service to pray to receive Christ and to know you're in Christ. But when you know you're in Christ, you know what's in front of you. An incredible, glorious inheritance guaranteed to you because he sealed you in Christ. Awesome. And then John 14. Another promise from Jesus in the gospel. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, well, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. So Jesus is doing what right now? He's preparing a place for you in the Father's house. Is there enough room for you in the Father's house? Yes, if you're in Christ. What's he doing right now? He's preparing a place for you. I don't know what that means or what that looks like. I'm just going to take him just face value with his very own words. He is preparing a place for you. And if you're in Christ, he will return for you and he will take you to be where he is with him and all those that love him. And he'll judge sin and all those who haven't. But for you in Christ, your glorious inheritance includes this day. Well, he'll take you to this wonderful place in the new Jerusalem, in the new heaven, the new earth, as Scripture lays out for us, that we can be with him and for all eternity, with a glorious resurrection body like Christ's resurrection body. That's a trip. Think that one through for a minute. Probably crazy new dimensions, because not limited by humanness and all the perishable qualities of this life, even five senses. Five senses, senses. You'll probably have multiple senses multiple dimensions, your appreciation for God and his creation, the new heaven, the new earth, and him himself, and all these wonderful promises, probably having a, an increased ability beyond what you can even imagine when you're finally there in his presence, enjoying him and his new heaven and new earth and the place prepared for you. Now we're getting to the whole eyes of our heart being enlightened. Don't you feel it? Now we're starting to glimpse the power of these great truths. Now our hearts are starting to feel the great hope. It's building. It should feel like that. It should build in you. Now I know that I know that I know. 
No. Now that's not going to tick me off as much when they say that or cut me off or, or said, send that email. Now because of my promised identity in Christ and I'm still trying to get my mind and heart around, but now I know where I'm headed. I'm not home yet. There's a wonderful reunion waiting for me. Christ is going to return and take me there like he promised. And we know that from verse 13 last week. He said, you're sealed by the Spirit guaranteeing you what's to come. Read it again, verse 13. So let's press on with the prayer. It even gets better. <laughs> okay, verse 19. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? According to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Paul just gets very specific about this power. He doesn't want us to just think, oh, okay, we're strong. We're stronger than when we weren't a Christian. I guess God will like, help me out once in a while. Maybe he'll hear a prayer once in a while. Is that what he's describing? He's describing the immeasurably great power of the Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead and that seated him at God's right hand, the Father's right hand in heavenly places. That same power that same power lives in you. Please don't come up to me afterwards and try to help me explain what that means. I don't really know. I just know it raised Jesus from the dead and seated him in heavenly places at the Father's right hand. I just know, he said, the same is true for you and me, that the power of the resurrection that will lift us to new life in Christ and bring us into God's very presence for all eternity is in you and should, should be ruling in our lives. It should be empowering us to do all kinds of things we could never do in our own strength that we wouldn't even want to do. We don't even care about doing. And all of a sudden, we're adopted and redeemed and grace has been lavished on us. We know who we are in Christ and we're sealed in the Spirit. And now we're going to get to know this great power of the Spirit that lives in our life that raised Christ from the dead will now raise us to new things and new life in Christ and change us. That's immeasurably great. That's immeasurably great. It's beyond what you can imagine. It's not a booster shot like you get from Jamba Juice. You know, can I add one of those little things in there? Whatever it is, like cayenne pepper or whatever weird stuff. I'll get the boost. It's like not a boost. It's living at a whole nother level in the supernatural power of God. Why? Because it's the Holy Spirit and he lives in you and he's a person. He's the, the third person of the Trinity, right? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And he wants to live out supernaturally by his power. He wants to birth new things in and through your life. Do you realize that? That's why Paul said in Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. The context of this verse was about whether you had plenty or want. It was like a financial kind of thing. It's just like whether you have plenty or want. I know the secret. I can do all things through Christ who strength, whether I have little or a lot. It doesn't matter. Take that to any area of your life. This relationship's going great or it isn't. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. If, the, you know, I'm looking for a job and I'm reevaluating, I'm doing this and it's, it's kind of an anxious time for me or it's this, it's like I can do all things through Christ that strengthens me. I don't know how to repair this relationship or heal from this wound, but you know what? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's the power of the Holy Spirit in me. He'll bring the healing. He'll bring the deliverance that I need. He'll remind me of the great hope and glorious inheritance that I have coming. It's his power and strength in me. It's not my own that awesome? 
I'm not going to be crushed by this. This will not crush me. He won't allow it to crush me. I have the strength and the power of God in my life right now. Do you believe that? Well, you'll live differently if you keep reminding yourself of that every day. You'll live differently, guarantee it. You'll love differently. You'll forgive differently. You'll serve people differently. You'll initiate love and reconciliation with others differently. Your hope will be deeper and more exciting for sure. It'd be like, remember I said, you know, to the graduates, they had Ferraris waiting out here, new cars. Okay. But let's just say, let's just just say, I don't know, did Oprah do this? I don't know. Like I lined up all these new cars for every one of you out here, right? Ferraris in the special colors that you ordered. Okay. You go out here and you say, like, yeah, it's from my heart. So it's a gift. So you have to receive it. So you say, okay. So you jump in your Ferrari, got the keys. You're like, wow, this is like really cool car. Like, look at the leather and Look at all that wood. It's like probably real wood. <laughs> you know, like, ooh, the, the thing goes back and forth. Ooh, the, the, you know. And you're like, okay, this is like, never really driven in a car like this before. It would be like you driving away in that Ferrari and keeping it in first gear. Always. Always. You never shift and move it into second and third and fourth or fifth gear. You never really test and enjoy the power that's under the hood. You keep that car in first gear. You should get arrested just for doing that, right? <laughs> that makes no sense. People would say you're the most stupidest person. Like, do you realize the power under the hood of this car? You realize this is a Ferrari. This thing can fly. Take it to Germany, you'll discover that, right? And you're living in first gear? We've been given the power of the Holy Spirit to no comparison to Ferrari. We have the power of God living in us, and sometimes we keep it in first gear. Oh, I can't do that. I'm just mad at them. I, I don't know. Just not, they, they're always so mean to me. What? Take the power of the Holy Spirit and forgive that person. Oh, I don't know. I don't really know how to pray. I've never really prayed much. You know, no one really taught. Learn how to pray. Come tonight. <laughs> oh, I don't really know how to study God's Word. I just, you know, kind of figure Sunday morning or if I get a little clip or some podcast and so you study the Word of God by the power of the Holy Spirit. You discipline yourself, because you can now, because you understand I've got the power of God in me. I don't have to accept all the excuses I tell myself or other tell, others tell me. I don't have to accept them anymore. Why? Because Gordy reminded me, and the Word of God reminded me, I have the Ferrari power, right? I have every gear that God needs me to have. I've been fully equipped fully equipped with all spiritual blessings in Christ. I have everything I need, and God knows it. And when I need that power to forgive, when I need that power to discipline my life, when I need that power to fight sin and find new victories over temptation, it'll be there if I remember, God, you live in me. Holy Spirit, help me right now. Give me new strength. Give me discipline. Give me love for that person. He'll give it to you. You just have to remember, he lives in you. That great power of the resurrection lives in you. And verse 21, and he keeps going, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this name, but also in the one to come, in this age and in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things in the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. If you had any doubt how powerful his power is, or how powerful Christ is, the ruler who's at the right hand with the Father, over this whole universe, all rule, 
All authority, all power, all dominion is his. There's no contest. There's no empire, no person, no political movement, no power in creation now, in the past, or yet to come that will change that. Those are facts. All rule, authority, power, and dominion belong to him. And his name is above every name. Because at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and tongue will confess that he is Lord. Philippians 2 tells us that. Psalm 138, 2. For you have exalted above all things your name and your word. The name of Jesus above every name. And the word. And Jesus was the living word. So there you go. Jesus is above all. Pretty incredible promise. Satan cannot stop the building of God's kingdom. Jesus is the head of the church, the head of his people. He has, by going to that cross, conquered sin, death, and the enemy once and for all. It's under his feet. He is head of his church, head of his universe, head of his church. He has all rule and authority and dominion, and he can do what he wants to do, and he's doing it. And he's called you to be his very own, to understand these incredible promises about your identity, and now this great power that lives in you to live his ways, not just know about him. And that's the great hope that we have, that the fullness of Christ will fill all in all through his body and through his great plan of salvation. That there'll be a day when Jesus is going to wrap up human history, when he returns. He's going to judge evil and he's going to judge those that didn't love him and lived in sin and didn't want Christ. And he's going to welcome those of us that loved him, that put our faith in Christ so that we wouldn't be under the wrath of God, but know that we're freed and not condemned and no longer in shame and guilt. And that we'll have this incredible future for eternity to look forward to. Why? Because the one who rules it all, that has all authority, power, and dominion said so. And the name above all names, Jesus, is our brother and our savior. That's why. And we have incredible confidence in him. It's not coming from another man. It's coming from God himself through his word, taught and revealed to us by the Holy Spirit, always bringing attention to Jesus. So here's the conclusion. Here's how we wrap it up. So Paul was praying and he was showing these Ephesians what he was praying for encouraging them to also be people of prayer to pray that for themselves and each other. So now we're in that same legacy, right? Let's pray for ourselves and others to have growing faith and love, to have the spirit of wisdom and revelation helping us grow in the knowledge of Christ, to have assurance, assurance of our inheritance that's to come and Christ's resurrection power working in us being fully reliant on Christ's headship overall and as head of his church. So if you're in Christ today, I would hope you're deeply, deeply encouraged. You've been reminded, you've taken maybe a little bit deeper into these great doctrinal truths, and you've seen the heart of God as Paul has prayed his will for you and me and for those Ephesians when he originally wrote this letter. So now let's take those truths and that prayer and pray that for ourselves. Let's pray that for each other. Sometimes you just pray, oh, well, they're sick. Lord, help them get back. You know, that's great. But you know, even a more profound prayer than that, more powerful? Lord, I pray that the Spirit of God will give them wisdom and knowledge in the knowledge of Christ. I pray that they would grow to become more like Christ. I pray that they would be reminded of their inheritance, that they'd be excited about the future. They're not fearful and anxious. Take that away. You know, fill in the inheritance there, Lord. 
I pray that they would grow to be bold in their faith that shows itself in real love and that becomes contagious like it did in this church. Lord, that may be true of them and their family and this church. That's how we need to be praying for each other. That's what I want to do more and more on Sunday nights. So I really encourage you guys to come pray that we would do that. We'd actually live that out. And you live that out as you pray with your family and you pray with your spouse and you pray on your walk. And you pray in your life group and you pray, you know, Saturday morning when the guys get together. In various ways we do that. But may we be people of prayer. I'm going to invite Jason to come on out and uh, we're going to worship and tell the Lord that we're excited about what we've just heard. To worship him like we understand now more of his greatness. Worship him. Lift him up. Pray if you have any needs on your heart or something that the Holy Spirit maybe put his finger on today. Just give that to him. Confess that so you'd be free. And then just invite his grace and the spirit of wisdom and revelation to keep teaching you. And if you don't know Christ, we're going to pray right now. And it's a great opportunity just to confess your sin to him and have him come and wash you of your sin, forgive you, and then come in and rule your life and lead you to great things in Christ. So let's go to prayer and worship. This is our time of giving too, so really pray that you would be generous as the Lord's been generous to you. Let's pray together. Lord, we're so grateful for these incredible truths, these promises that you have shown us today through your servant, Paul. Or what a heart he had to show the great glories of Christ to his brothers and sisters and to us today. Thank you, Lord. May we not take one of these truths for granted. May we live them now. Understanding, Lord, the future we have in you. Understanding this great resurrection power of Christ that lives in us. So that we don't just hear these words and log them in our minds, but it renews our mind to such an extent that it comes out in our love and in our relationships and in growing faith. Help us to pray for each other like we've just learned from Paul today. For ourselves as well. Just reach out to the Lord in your own heart right now. Worship him. Thank him. Celebrate his goodness and lavish grace on you. Your adoption, your redemption, your forgiveness, your inheritance. Thank him. Let it build your faith even as you pray. Tell him how you want to live in accordance with those great truths more. Confess where you've been living selfishly or by the world's dictates and not the direction of his word. Accept his forgiveness. And if you've never placed your faith in Christ, just reach out to him from your heart. Say, God, would you forgive me of my sin? It separated me from you. I was an enemy of you my whole life, but I'm praying now that you would forgive me so I can be an adopted son or daughter. I want to be your friend, God. I want to have your spirit living in me. Forgive me. Cleanse me in my heart. Give me a new heart, Jesus. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and seal me for eternity. Thank you, Lord. You just prayed that. 
Thank him that you became a child of God by the declaration of your faith to him and your confession. And tell someone that you came with it. You just placed your faith in Christ. So Lord, now as we continue to worship, to sing, to pray, and then to go live, be pleased, Lord, by our response to what we've heard from you today.